are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Uh, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right, well, you know it's a serious message because I have two Bibles. <laughs> all right, how's everyone doing today? Good. I'm going to see the wind of the Spirit ready to blow upon all of you. <laughs> That's a joke that they just turned the fans on in case you didn't notice. <sighs> all right, well, um, I'm excited about the topic today. I, uh, I want to just kind of lay a little bit of groundwork for how I kind of came into this, this uh, subject. Um, and if, uh, for anyone who's been around for a while, this is a familiar uh, subject for you. But if you're new, uh, welcome. Uh, uh, so if you're new, you might not know that a big part of my personal testimony is that for, for as long as I can remember, ever since I was a little kid, I've seen uh, angels, demons, and other spiritual things, uh, not so differently from the way that I'm seeing all of you right now. Um, and I wanted to share for just a moment before we dove into some of the stuff I uh, saw during worship today, if that's, if that's okay. Awesome. Cool. So... Um, it was neat. The last couple of weeks, one of the things that I've seen is up here at the front in this, uh, uh, I guess you'd call it an altar, uh, maybe, <laughs> this patch of plastic flooring. Um, I, I have uh, just noticed there's this uh, fire that's just going all the time. And it's just this, uh, this fire that's like right from the stage here to the, to the front row there all the way across this front area here. I just see this kind of fire just sort of going. And right when we went into the, the first song, I saw these angels come up in a row in front here on the stage and they had these, um, these big uh, fans that they were holding. They were kind of these interesting arced sort of shape and they were blowing this fire with these fans over and over as we went into the first song. I'm sure you all felt like worship kind of hit this uh, acceleration point right away. I could feel this kind of bolstering and building up and the fire got taller and taller and taller. And uh, Steve got up there and kind of encouraged us to lean in a little bit more. It was like the angels kind of redoubled their efforts and uh, I could feel everyone else pressing in as well. And the fire got higher and higher and higher. And even some of you came up and came to the front. Now, as we went in a little bit further, I noticed that those same angels, they, they jumped down into the fire and then put the fans down on top of it, like, like how you would smother a fire, you know? And I thought, oh no, we messed it up, what do we do? But then after they kind of smothered it for a second, they stepped off and there was just this beautiful bed of hot coals just, just sitting there. And uh, if, if, if anyone who's a grill master, I'm not, but if, if you are, you know that getting a uh, charcoal grill to work properly is all about getting the right amount of oxygen to keep the coals in a particular state. Is that, is that true? Okay, good. I don't see anyone violently shaking their head. That's good. Um, and so there's this beautiful bed of coals that were just sitting there. And then as we went again into another song, they started fanning the flames again, and the flames went back up, and it kind of went back and forth with each part of each song. And I was just asking the Lord what he was doing with that. And, he, and I just heard him say, I'm, I'm teaching you how to steward your own fire. And I just heard him say, it's just as important to know what to do in response to the fire of my presence when it's blazing up really high and also what to do when it's, when it's coming as, as a slow, long-lasting heat. Does that, does that make sense? And so I wanted to uh, share that today because I... Another thing that I saw during worship was this, um, this one particular angel. And this angel was standing right here. And the first time that I saw this angel um, was actually last Sunday. So I was, I was uh, hanging out right over here, as I often do. 
um, worshiping, and all of a sudden this angel shows up in front of me. Now, as I, as I mentioned, singing angels has been a part of my life for as long as I can remember, and so I, you know, I, I rel- relatively, it's not the most weird thing that an angel will just kind of show up in the middle of worship. That makes sense, right? Cool. And so, you know, I, I remember sometimes I'd read the accounts in scripture where the angels are like, you know, be not afraid. And I thought, oh, angels aren't that scary. You know, they're, they're awesome. They're bringing good news. Um, now, since then, a, a couple times I've seen angels that I uh, understand why they might start their message with be not afraid. And it's not because they're genuinely scary or, or frightening or intimidating in, in any other sense. It's the best way I can describe it is some of these, sometimes I see an angel and I can feel a almost a heat resonating off of it. Like, a, like if you ever go camping and a coal gets kind of shot out of the fire, like pops out of the fire and you see it on a cold night, there's the heat radiating off of it. You ever have that happen before? It's like this coal's been in a deep part of the fire and it just came out to another part. And because of that, I can see just how hot that coal is from being in that place that it was. It's almost like that where sometimes I see these angels that are carrying the... They're retaining the heat of being in a place in God's presence that I've never been to before. And that can be a little bit intimidating. Um, and so this was one of those. He, was, he showed up in the middle of worship. He was about, uh, whatever that is, tall, what's that? 12, 13, 14 feet, give or take. Um, shows up, he's wearing this very elaborate, like, what I would think of as like general armor sort of thing, very fancy, emblazoned with uh, jewels and all these details. And he's holding up a piece of paper. And I said, what's that? And I heard him say, it's a mandate for revival. I said, okay, okay. That sounds good. And... I said, why, why are you bringing this? And he said, the Father has appointed revival for your country. I was like, okay, yeah. That's what I thought too. <laughs> I looked at the paper and it was a scripture. And it was a scripture I was familiar with. In fact, it was a parable that was written on this paper. And I said, what's that? And he said, that is the gateway. So if you would, uh, turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 18. Now, uh, this is one of the, uh, it's actually one of my favorite parables because it's terrifying. Um, And so when I, you know, read when the angel was there and I was reading, I recognized it right away. I already knew how it ends. One I've heard, you know, hundreds of times. And at first I thought, it's weird that this would be a gateway to revival. <laughs> it doesn't feel like that to me, but let, let's read it together uh, just to refamiliarize ourselves with it. I'm in uh, the NASB over here. But Matthew 18, we're looking at verse 21. So, Uh, Then Peter came up to him, Jesus, and said, Lord, how many times shall my brother sin against me and I still forgive him? Up to seven times? Like how we just kind of picked a number. He's like, seven's a good number. It's a very very godly number. Let's go go with seven. That feels like a fair. Not not too generous, not too ingenerous. You know, perfect, seven. (laughs) Jesus said to him, 
I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 77 times. Some uh, translations even say 70 times seven times. Either way, the point is a lot. <clears throat> for this reason, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like. Now, I, I, most of the parables start this way, not all of them. But this is always a place, at least for me personally, just in my journey with scripture and with the Lord, that I always pay a lot of attention because I really wanna know what the kingdom of God is like. I wanna know what the kingdom of heaven is like. I wanna know how my father operates his business. And so when this kind of story comes up, at least for me personally, I, my ears perk up. I you know, always listen to what Jesus says, but for this, for me personally, is just areas where I'm like, I really wanna listen. So for this reason, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his slaves. And when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, uh, slavery in, in Jesus' time was a little bit more akin to what we think of as uh, indentured servitude. It was like a, if I couldn't afford what was going on with my situation, I might make myself an indentured servant. I'm having room and board. I'm working for you and getting paid to do that. If I had a really big debt, this was like a way to deal with that potentially. And so it's not kind of what we think of as uh, more recent slavery in the United States or, or other places. This was uh, almost like an economic thing, just, just FYI. And then 10,000 talents was brought to him. A little bit of debate as to exactly how much 10,000 talents is. Some measurements would uh, say that it's like $2.5 million today. Some people say it's like more like $1.6 billion. Um, either way, the point is it's quite a lot. It's quite a lot of money that is owed. So 10,000 talents was brought to him. Uh, a talent they estimate was a year's worth of pay. So 10,000 years worth of pay for a day laborer was kind of what that amount would be. So, and when he began to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. But since he did not have the means to repay his master, uh, his master commanded that he be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment be made. So this is kind of like in our modern terms, like you owe someone a bunch of money and they sell that debt to some weird conglomerate that buys debt and is way more nasty about it kind of thing. Any fi financial people know how that happens? Um, so this is the same kind of idea. I'm gonna sell your debt to someone else. In this case, sell your contract for, for uh, indentured servitude to someone else. And who knows what kind of master that's going to be. They could be as harsh about that as they wanted to be, which is a bummer. And honestly, that would not even come close to paying this debt. That's way, way, way below. So the, verse 26, so the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Now, if Jesus was telling this story to a group of people, this is the part where everyone would laugh because that's kind of a joke. <laughs> Um, this phrase, have patience with me and I'll repay everything, was like a common colloquial phrase. It's kind of like, uh, this, this phrase is starting to age out, but it's the same idea of like, uh, the check's in the mail. You know, that's like a phrase of saying like, oh, I'm gonna pay, but probably not really. You know, that's, it, it was that kind of phrase. And given the amount of money that was owed, the concept that it was even paid, that there was any way in which he could pay it back was ridiculous. And so this is like last diff ditch effort, someone yelling out a cliche as a, as a latch, last diff ditch effort to get out of this pickle that he's in. So falls down and says, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. And the master of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. Big deal. Like he just said, yep, you just don't owe me anything anymore. You are set free from your responsibility to me. 
Done. We just canceled the debt. Right away, uh, verse 28. But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, a denarii was about a day's wage for a laborer, is the best we understand nowadays. So a day's wage for a laborer, a hundred days worth of work. That's not a small amount of money. That's not, that's not nothing. That's a pretty decent amount. It's, an, it's a comprehensible amount. It's an amount that someone probably could repay over time, but it's not small. It's not five bucks. This is, it's a reasonable amount of money. Um, where was I? Okay. Uh, but the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii and seized him and began to choke him, saying, pay back what you owe. So this fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he would pay back what was owed. Again, in the ancient time, there was this concept of debtor's prison, which is this, uh, since someone owed me money, I would have the right to say, hey, this person is refusing to pay or refusing to pay based on the contract or in a timely manner or whatever else. Come get them, take them to debtor's prison where they are working for an absolute bare wage and barely able to, you know, this is probably a life sentence or at least a very long sentence in this case. You're gonna work in this prison that's gonna take most of what you work for your room and board and then that little bit that comes over that is going to go back to repaying me. So, a bummer. Uh, so he threw him into prison until he was able to pay what he was owed. Uh, Verse 31. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their master all that had happened. Then summoning him, his master said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed to him. And this is the kicker. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. (laughs) And just as a brief reminder, this story started with the kingdom of heaven is like. (laughs) Now... I know that in a culture where we fully, and I personally fully believe that God is good, God is loving, God is kind, this can be a difficult thing to reconcile, right? It feels kind of scary. Does it, does it feel kind of scary? Let's just take a moment here and sit in that scary feeling for just a second. Because the temptation is to try to reconcile this with your view of who God is as quickly as possible. And I have found in the many years and the many times I've heard this parable taught that more often than I think is preferable, people who have a God is good oriented view will try to slide, shimmy this story over into positivity as much as possible. And the people who have a very uh, harsh, God is, God is vengeful, God is angry, God wants you to, the first thing he wants you to do is change your behavior kind of uh, environment, are going to lean hard into that way. And one thing that I try to do, it's, it's, it's very difficult to do, and it's, if we're honest with ourselves, it takes a lot of uh, patience and practice to do, 
is to not let my filters tell me how to interpret this, but just try to let it wash over me. And I think that one of the things that we can do is instead of trying to solve the emotion of fear or distrust or even betrayal that we might feel when reading something harsh like this, just kind of sitting for it, sitting in it for a moment, realizing that we're feeling that way and let the Holy Spirit speak. Yeah? So I see this angel and he's holding this parable and says, this is the gateway to revival. Okay, so forgive, right? Let's, you know, usually if there's titles in your, in your version of the Bible, this would be called something like the, the unforgiving servant or the unforgiving slave or forgiveness or something like that. And while I do think that this is, of course, a story that is absolutely about forgiveness, I think it just saying, yeah, you should forgive is probably not taking into consideration the clear level of weight that God is putting on this story. Like, I, at the very least, if I take some of my, if I don't try to jump to a theological conclusion of, oh no, does that mean I go to hell if I don't forgive people? Or, oh no, does that mean, if I, if I kind of stop worrying about that for a second and just say, wow, there is clear severity and importance placed on this principle. And this is very, very important to God. If I can you know, avoid just going to the, well, what's gonna happen to me part and think, what is God saying? I feel like we can start to unpack what this, what this means. Because, you know, as Christians, we, we know exactly how this story, how huge parts of this story fit of we, we owed God a debt that we couldn't possibly repay. Sin had created a debt, a, a, a divergence from his goodness, a divergence from his kindness, a space that had grown so far that there was no way to cross it. There was no work. There was no way to repay that back. And even if we fall on our knees and say, I'll pay you back, just give me time could not possibly be paid back in any lifetime. In fact, probably not even in hundreds or thousands of lifetimes. In fact, that's the gospel, right? Sin entered the world. God uh, appeared to his chosen people. He made a covenant with them. And the entire, uh, a summary of that story is over and over again, that they were unable to hold that covenant. They were unable to follow that covenant again and again and again and again. And so, he forgave the debt and he paid a high price to do it. He sent his son to forgive that debt. And that's what happened. We, we owed him more than could possibly be paid. And he said, I forgive you. You are released from owing me anything. Now, so we, we understand that part. What happens next? He runs into another servant, another slave who owes him some money. And this is crazy. This is aggressive. He's, every interpretation, they don't have the exact word for it, but the, the most accurate one is choking. Like he grabs this person by the neck and says, pay me what you owe right now. Aggressive, angry. And the, the infringement is not just that he didn't forgive. I, I would like to suggest that the infringement is that he did not let the forgiveness that he received transform his heart. <laughs> Does that make sense? Because it's not just you didn't forgive this debt. It, it was within his rights to not forgive this debt. 
That, that was a, all this stuff that we talked about, debtor's prison, all that stuff. Those were the legal norms of the time. That, and he was well within his rights, especially with that amount of money, to do precisely what he did. Maybe not the choking part. I don't know what the rules around choking people in the street were back then, but who knows. Um, why he called him a wicked slave was this very thing. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And so I'm processing this parable in my mind. I'm like, okay, the, the infringement was I did not let the forgiveness that I received transform my heart. In fact, Jesus reinforces this with the last sentence. My heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Reemphasizing that it's not just about the forgiveness, it's about forgiving from your heart, which as we all know, cannot be done without a transformed heart, right? That's one of the reasons this isn't nearly as scary as scripture as we think it is. Because if we're looking through the lens of performance, we're like, oh no, I gotta forgive everyone real fast, I gotta work real hard at that. That's not the point of this story at all. It's, it's impossible. The, the point of this story is in his forgiveness towards you is a seed that can grow into forgiveness for others. That there is a grace in his forgiveness of you that equips you to do what, what you could not have done before, which is to forgive someone who owes you something. And so I'm processing this in my mind and I'm seeing this as a, as a mandate for revival for my country. And I think, okay, this is a story. This, uh, Peter started with asking like, hey, when my brother sins against me, again, the term brother would not have necessarily just been literally his brother. It would be a, a person I know, a person I'm in relationship does something wrong to me. And Jesus kind of goes into this larger principle of what forgiveness is, not just with that situation, but forgiveness itself and how we as forgiven sons and daughters are to act. And so this isn't, I think, just about how we forgive someone who specifically did something wrong to us, but how we release the forgiveness we have received to the rest of the world. And if I'm being honest, if I look at the last two years of the church, not our church, but the church, Big C Church, uh, if I were to give us a grade, which you're not supposed to do necessarily, but if I were to give us a grade on how well we were releasing the same forgiveness that we received to the rest of the world, not sure I'd give a passing grade, if I'm being honest. In, in fact, I, and I'm sure we've all had this experience in different ways, in different forms, and in, for different reasons, and, and reasonably so. I think each of us has probably looked at some part of the church, some individual, someone on Facebook probably, or whatever else, and, said, and felt anger at the way that Jesus is being represented by our brothers and sisters. You ever had that feeling? A little scared to answer that, but that's okay, because I'm sure 100% of you have had that feeling at some point. <laughs> You know, I, I talk to non-Christian folks or atheist folks or agnostic folks sometimes. 
when you see angels for a living, you get to have really interesting conversations with those folks. Um, and usually once we get past the whatever arguments or whatever rhetoric or whatever pre-canned statements we're supposed to you know, push at one another, I would say 95% of the time what the disconnect comes down to there's, there's the logical disconnect that people have, and you know, those are worth talking through and talking about and discussing with folks. There's, there's that stuff. And once you get past the logical disconnects people have with, with Christianity and God and the existence of God and all these things, almost always the heart, the emotional, the relational reason for that person not being able to engage with the church, with God, has to do, in my opinion, with this very circumstance that a forgiven person showed up to them without forgiveness. I, I would like to suggest <laughs> that if we want to see revival manifest in our town, in our county, in our city, in our region, and in our country, that this is a central piece of whether those fires spread or whether they're quickly and thoroughly snuffed out. Forgiveness is this weird thing because God, Jesus died on the cross. He forgave all sins. He, he canceled the debt. Now we all know that doesn't mean, well, now I can just do whatever. I can sin as much as I want. I can do, my, my behavior no longer matters. Ah, that's, that's not what forgiveness is. And we know that. If someone did something mean to you, if someone said something, if some, someone stole from you and you forgive them and you go through that process of forgiving them, that obviously and clearly doesn't mean, well, great, we're all forgiven. I can just steal as much as I want. No, that's not how that works, right? So we know that. We know that that doesn't mean, oh, everything's all good, no problem. Nothing will ever affect our relationship again. Um, but forgiveness is canceling a debt that I have chosen that you don't owe me anything for your mistake, that you don't owe me anything for not believing what I do, that you don't owe me anything for promoting things that are ungodly. And that's hard because those things are still hurtful. They're still harmful. I, I can look at the, if I broaden my scope and I look at the, the cultural direction of our country, I could, I could get nervous about the kinds of things that are becoming more and more normal, more and more expected. But, and and I, I can look at it and be very nervous. But let me just splash some water in your face because if you can't walk in forgiveness, then you will be powerless to stop it. You will be the angry person in the corner who's actually fueling the fire of perpetuating those very things, of reinforcing them. Now that's hard because it's easy to do the, oh, everything's fine, everything's okay kind of forgiveness and yeah, it doesn't matter, you can sin as much as you want. It's easy to go in that direction it's disconnecting, it damages relationship, it disconnects people from God. And so that's not, that's not healthy either. It's just as destructive. So what do we do? 
What do we do? Well, I, I don't have a good answer. <laughs> you can leave now. No, just kidding. Um, but I do have a story. <clears throat> um, so a number of years ago, a, a very close friend of mine uh, stopped believing in Jesus. And uh, I had had conversations with this person about struggles they had with their beliefs. And it's, it's a conversation that we had on a semi-regular basis. Um, but then I just uh, received a letter like, hey, I'm done with all this. And I felt hurt for a number of reasons. I, held, I felt hurt because I really cared about this person. I held, felt hurt because this person had been so passionately in love with God and such a beautiful representation of him and then had fallen away, had, had, had disconnected, had, had lost his faith. But if I was being honest, I also had a personal pain of, man, we were working on this together and then you just went somewhere and made some decisions without me. <laughs> you know? And so after that, that happened, I had uh, some time went by and I had another opportunity to sit down with this person. And I was, uh, I was tied up in knots sitting down because I was sad, I was mad, I was scared, I was, I was all those feelings. <laughs> They were all bottled up somewhere in like a corner because, you know, that's what you do <laughs> when you're a healthy Christian. Um, <laughs> more on that later. Um, and, you know, I, I have a propensity for overthinking things and I had definitely been doing that leading up to this because I wanted to reach out to this person. I wanted to grab them. I wanted to kidnap them. I wanted to whatever, you know, to get them back into the kingdom. But I also knew any of the like, you know, cathartic, aggressive things that I could do to do that would only push this person away more. You know, if I, you know, kidnapped him and took him to a cab and just read scripture to him all weekend or something like that, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's basically a horror movie I just described. <laughs> um, so that's not going to work. Uh, and so I'm struggling with like, I want to show up with, hey, I'm not okay with this. I want to also say, I do love you still. That's why this hurts so much, you know. And I also want to be connected to you and be your, be your friend and all, all these things. <clears throat> so I sat down for coffee with this person and we started talking and we got into the meat of the conversation. And I'm struggling with this back and forth thing of like, I don't want to push you away, but I also don't want to pull punches. I, I don't want to be dishonest with, with how I feel about this and how I'm experiencing this, but I don't want to scare you away. And honestly, I have scary feelings right now, you know? And so I'm talking to this person and all of a sudden I see an arrow come in my mouth. These things happen. Uh, and the arrow is gold. The, the shaft of the arrow is gold. The head of the arrow is gold. And this beautiful, delicately made golden fletching is, is coming out the back of it. It's gold. And it goes straight at his heart. And I watch... Uh, his angel, his personal angel, uh, every, every person I've ever met has a personal angel. It's with him all the time. Uh, step in front of him and let the arrow sink into them. And I thought that was weird. And so the conversation continued and then I came to another point and I saw another arrow coming out of my mouth. And again, it's moving through the air. I'm seeing it's brilliant gold. It's heading right towards this person's heart. Boom, the angel steps in front. A couple more arrows coming out of my mouth. One head straight toward his forehead. 
Angel steps in front and catches that one in midair. <laughs> and we have our conversation. I was able to share some of my feelings. I was able to, you know, do something there, but nothing, nothing changed. So I get in the car to drive away and his angel sits in the passenger seat. And I'm like, where were you? <laughs> where are you on the rebound? You're supposed to like grab that and like, shashak, you know? <laughs> this is getting, getting, this is, this is not what I was expecting. Cause I'm like, those are golden arrows. That's good stuff, right? <laughs> the, arrow was, the arrows were still sitting in her chest and she held up the arrow that she'd caught. I noticed the head of the arrow, even though it was made out of gold, was dirty. And she said, your arrows are dirty. That's a good way to cause an infection. And said, you can try again next time. She took the arrows out, set them on the passenger seat and left. So that was a little frustrating, you know. And after processing that and thinking about that and getting mad at that and all that for a while, I realized something. I hadn't forgiven my friend yet. For a lot of things, for, for just the decision to not believe in God and the, just the, the personal offense that that is to me for, for having been a person who experienced miracles who had seen people get healed and still making this decision. But beside those broader things, the more personal things of not talking to me about it, not walking it through it with me, not, not inviting me in to that process and for wanting everything to be okay afterwards, you know? And so I, once I realized, oh, I need to forgive him, I was like, all right, I forgive him. And nothing happened. <laughs> and I said, all right, I super forgive him. <laughs> nothing happened. I double, triple dog forgive him. <laughs> nothing. And I heard the Holy Spirit say, you can't. And I said, why not? Why ever not? <laughs> and he said, because you haven't received that part of your inheritance yet. You know, I, I think one thing that we could really work on, there's these wonderful Christian values that were that any of us who were raised in the church like myself grew up with. And they're good. They're very good values that unfortunately we sometimes misapply in a way that completely undermines the value. The Bible commands us repeatedly to forgive. This is one of the more direct and strong advocations to forgive. But I think that we as Christians very often forgive way too quickly. which probably immediately sounds slightly offensive. 
But when we forgive too quickly, instead of walking through the pain of the sin that was committed, the pain of what was stolen, the reality of what I'm actually forgiving, I may be incapable of releasing true forgiveness. And in fact, that quick forgiveness that I give because I'm supposed to might actually be an, an, an inoculation against actual forgiveness, a, a false version of forgiveness that makes me think that I've forgiven when I haven't walked through any kind of, I have not paid anything. I've not released any debt whatsoever. I love this parable because Jesus didn't say, he could have gone extreme and said, this guy owed him five bucks and he choked him. I don't know, 100 days wages. That's a lot. Just like Steve was talking about earlier, that's a lot of stored energy that this person was not paying back, uh, presumably as it was agreed upon. It wasn't nothing. It wasn't petty. It wasn't insubstantial. It was a real debt that was owed. I think that sometimes when we forgive too quickly, we don't take the time to walk through the healing that is required. This is gonna be offensive for a second, but stick with me. God didn't forgive too quickly. Sin happened. He could have, oh, I forgive you, Adam. I forgive you, Eve, no problem. Get back in there. Don't talk to that snake again. <laughs> it it, it would have been disingenuous to the magnitude of the infraction. And maybe that infraction, we have enough of a distance that we don't feel the impact of it. But think of someone who has done harm to you or who has harmed your family or is pushing something that, is, that you think is destructive to your country, to, to people, to whatever else. <clears throat> and recognize, yeah, there's, there's a debt that's owed. <laughs> there, is, there is a weight, there is a magnitude to what to the cost of what's here. And if I forgive too quickly, I'm not treating it like it matters. And my forgiveness becomes cheap and insubstantial. Does that, does that make sense? God waited for the full weight of the disconnect to be manifested, to be revealed, to be unfolded thousands of years. He did not disconnect personally. He was still present. He was still working with his people. He did, not, he did not just abandon people, but he let the magnitude of the decision play out. And then he did not snap his fingers and say, okay, it's forgiven now. No, he paid a price. He paid the most expensive price almost any of us could possibly imagine. A price he did not need to pay. He could have snapped his fingers and say, it is done. No, but he wanted to show how much it cost. Show that it was worth something. Show that his forgiveness was not cheap, was not, was not off the cuff, was not instantaneous, but was something that was fought for, bled for, and died for. Forgiveness is not cheap, and if we treat it as such, we will undermine it and we will not experience its benefits. And we will not be able to release it to other people the way that we have received it. So what does that mean? We have to let our forgiveness hurt more. We have to recognize the areas that we are not forgiving and recognize that we are incapable of forgiving that grievance. 
whether it's against a group, whether it's against an individual, whether it's against a, a leader, whatever it is, recognize where we are inadequate in our ability to release forgiveness and be honest about that so that we can walk through a process of letting God lead us to genuine, real, true forgiveness. Because I believe that if we can do that, we're going to have the opportunity to release his kingdom to people we have thought of as unreachable. To people who have logicked their way out of the kingdom, who are being tricked by, by this idea or that idea. who are honestly slipping away and some of our attitude is pushing them further. <laughs> so if we want to correct that, we don't lower the standard. We don't say, oh, it's all fine and good. We walk the hard path of real forgiveness where something is owed. <sighs> so I just want to pray for you guys in, in wrapping up. I know it's a little bit heavy, but I think it's necessary. So if you have someone to forgive or a people group to forgive, I'd love for you to stand up where you're at. I'm guessing that's about 98% of us. And again, if you're sitting down, no judgment that we're all in different stages of these, of these processes. I forgive you. No, just kidding. <laughs> even if you're at home, stand up if, if you need to do that. Because even, even when you're at home or even if you're in the bathtub or wherever you are, just stand up carefully. Because <laughs> there's, no, there's no magic to it, but it's a prophetic act. I just want you to close your eyes. I'm just going to pray over us. Lord, we want to see revival. We want to see a nation changed. We want to see people pouring into your kingdom. We want to see people healed. We want to see people restored. We want to see people walking in the full manifestation of glory. We want your kingdom to be made manifest in our lives. We want to experience your presence. We want to experience your glory. And Lord, even though this is hard, you told us that this is one of the ways that your kingdom is. And so we honor that. We honor the fact that we are forgiven, that we are deeply forgiven. We honor the fact that you have forgiven way more than we have, <laughs> that you have looked across the scope of human history to, to eras and to time frames that we don't know anything about that you have seen every sin, you've seen every travesty, you've seen every brother who has stolen from his brother, you've seen everyone who has been harmed, everyone who has been hurt in every point in history from the wide scope of, of big historical events to the teeniest, tiniest little infraction and you said, I will forgive them. And for a forgiveness that big, that massive, that impossible, that incredible. You did not pay a cheap price. You waited patiently and you paid the highest price that you possibly could. And we right now honor that price that you've paid for us. 
Whether we personally have, have sinned against you a lot or a little, it is irrelevant because no matter how much we are asked to forgive, it would be impossible for us to forgive as much as you have. So as humble sons and daughters, we come before you right now and say, transform our hearts. Let us be transformed by the forgiveness that you've given us. Let us be more capable of forgiving than we have been forgiven. That, we, that even, if we, even if we grew up in church and, and never did this and never did that, that we would be capable of forgiving as big as you have forgiven. That we would receive grace to forgive fully, wholly, and completely. Show us the areas that we're not walking in forgiveness. Show us the areas that we are, that we're actually thriving in forgiveness. Teach us how to not lower the standard and just say, oh, it's okay, oh, it's no problem, oh, I've forgiven them, and to walk through the pain and the, and the challenge and the, the difficult work of true, genuine, hard-fought, hard-paid-for forgiveness. We recognize that we have to walk through that, but we also recognize that we can't do it on our own and that you have already paid for every bit that we couldn't pay for. So we just receive that right now. And I pray that as we begin to forgive and walk through forgiveness and you show us how to walk out this kind of forgiveness, that we will begin to see revival spring up out of it immediately in the people that have gone away, in the people that are lost, in the family members that are distant, that we would begin to see fruit spring out of these decisions, spring out of this forgiveness. We ask this today in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks very much, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.